Welcome to the Celebration Church Orlando podcast. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope it encourages you and inspires you. Here's today's message. There he is. What's good? What's going on, my friend? How are you? What's up? What's up? How you doing, brother? Doing good, man. Come on, Monday night, we uh, get everybody, everybody fed. Now we're getting everybody through the bath situation, get everybody into bed. Is what's what's bedtime in the dolls household for the young dolls? All right, so the best night it's a, it's a straight across the board. We're we're, okay. we're no respecter of persons, and so we uh, we got some really good advice I think early on, and that was uh, have an early bedtime for your kids, um, so you get to just be grown for a little while, and yes. uh, so we we did that, and so we've always had a pretty early bedtime. So honestly, it's usually around in between eight eight thirty. Okay. Um, if I'm honest, Nicole is Your a lot. Like, Nicole has a lot more latitude in that than I do. Nicole, okay. Nicole can be bam, she can be bamboozled. Um, let's just and call it what it is. Your yeah. kids are like thirsty. Yes. Read me a story. They're delayed. They're delaying it for sure. Annoy me with oil. <laughs> it's, it's all. It's all. Of these and so they're never more spiritual than when it's bedtime. <laughs> Keith, facts. <laughs> So we'll start at eight. This is true. So if Nicole's like quarterbacking bedtime for that evening, we will start at eight. Uh-huh. And those kids will be in bed by like nine, nine fifteen. Because it, it just it lingers. Mom, I want a hug. I, want, I mean, if you yeah. watch it, you're like, this is the biggest hustle. I see it. Oh, I, I, I just see it a mile away. But if I'm on if I'm on track, we're starting bedtime at seven fifty because you're in bed by eight, eight oh five. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, it's just it's just strict. Now, what hurts us is because I mean, you know this because you lived up here in the summertime. It doesn't get dark till almost okay. nine o'clock, bro. Yeah, it's daylight. And so, trying to convince kids that one summertime you still got to yeah. go to bed early, and then two, when it's like bright, that's tough. Um, so you 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 uphold the rules even in the summer. Well, yeah, I'm not. That. I haven't. I haven't left. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, because it's summer, your freedom should encroach upon my freedom. I mean, yes. that's part of our conversation tonight. It's nothing. But, it has very little to do with them. It's like the freedom that you need. So, But I also had this conversation the other day with someone that because of Caden's age, Caden's about to turn 11. Yeah. That we might need to start extending this for him, okay. which I, I get that we might be getting to that place. Okay. Um, so it'll be an interesting territory. I think we're going to be moving to different bedtimes soon, you know, that sort of thing. That but it's, uh, yeah, the, yeah, whoever came up with daylight savings time, uh, I, I've seen, I've seen my boy Franklin saying it, whoever, whoever came up with daylight savings time, that was a hustle. Like they didn't have kids either. Sure. Yeah. It, it just, they did not have children and they don't know what they're talking about. They don't, they don't care. They don't care nothing about none of that. So mm-hmm. we're, we're stuck with it. How are you, man? How's the uh, how's the Pippin household? Pippin household is is good. We have our we have our beautiful granddaughters here with us this week, so um, I'm kind of in the same space that you're in. Um, yeah. Cause I have a two year old and a three year old. Um, but they're your grandkids. I mean, yeah, that's, but they're yeah. Yeah, it's, it's different. <laughs> so, so for me, like it's it's like I'm not used to like managing it like 24 hours a day. So like just trying to like deal with like the emotions, the meltdowns, the the joyous moments, the nonstop energy, like. We've been we've been removed from that a long time. Caleb is sixteen; he's our youngest, so we've been so removed from that. I'm like, I don't know how we ever raise kids because 
this is a lot of work. Like it's it's a lot. So I commend all yeah. the all the, the they, ones say that for the people. They don't they don't realize. Yeah. It, it's, what what happened in an evening of passion has uh, <laughs> has resulted in a, a lifetime of servitude. And so yeah. it is indeed. It's real out here in these streets. And it um, only gets more expensive. So I just I just want to prepare your heart for that now. No. So I'm going to ask you, what's the like for you as a grandparent? What What's the thing that you used to be strict on as a parent, and now as a grandparent, it's not your problem? Pretty much everything. <laughs> like, I mean, if I, like, I know that's, like, such a vague answer, but yet it's very specific at the same time. <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I don't care about nothing. Like, I remember when we first started, like, watching the girls, and, like, we were all living in the same city. They were like, okay, so the girls go to sleep at, like, 7 o'clock. I'm like, yeah, for you. Like every answer was like, yeah, for you. Like we don't feed them any candy. Like yeah, you don't. Like for, like I don't I don't have to deal with any. You can't be restricted by these by these rules. Yeah, I refuse to. Like I said, like that's that's your thing, and and Megan would do the good job. Like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna honor that. I'm like Megan, like I'm gonna do the best I can, but right. but I'm really not. Like it's just gonna be like they're with us. We're gonna spoil them. They're gonna sleep in the bed with us, and then let my kid, let Keith Junior and Katrina figure it out when the kids get back. We may undo weeks of strong discipline and training but i don't care because you know what keeps cost me a lot of money so at the end of the day if this is how i get paid back then deal with it i'm sorry that may be wrong hey i mean listen i'm, I'm gonna learn from you so one of these days these yeah. kids, and again it's i'm gonna keep it till yeah because at some point we balance in this budget oh for sure <laughs> there's I got a running tab, man. I got an Excel spreadsheet that breaks down all costs. I got receipts um, for I, everything. I would hate, I would hate for my dad to even begin that conversation. Like, I don't even want to. And because here's like knowing my dad, what my dad would do is he would adjust it for inflation. Like he would uh, on the fly be like, "Oh, that then equals this today," and and math uh, and me are not the best friends. Your dad, I no, can see him that works. Well, welcome sure. to my childhood. That's what that's yes. what my life was. He was that. I, I, I feel you. I'm with you, brother. I'm with you. Great. I'm grateful for it, though. Indeed, well, man. Hey, man. We're uh, we're here, uh, kind of second time, uh, kind of at this. Um, and I know you and I, we we you know we chatted kind of as we did this last time, and yeah. we really felt like, and we kind of shared, you know, how this really is is kind of birthed out of our friendship. Mm -hmm. um, I think you and I both feel very very strongly that we're not having um, conversations in a public forum that we haven't had in a private forum. Indeed. And so I, I'm a, a strong conviction um, for me in this. I can't speak for anybody else, but a strong conviction for me is uh, you don't get to you don't get to do public what you haven't done in private. And Indeed. and so for us, this is um, these are the conversations that we've been having for years. Yep. And um, now I think it is at a place where it's I think it's responsible for us to have these conversations um, in a setting where we we can bring other people into the table, um, yep. and even though it's not the most discussion based i know people are going to be in the comments and um and they're going to be able to interact a little bit it's not the same as if we were all at the same table all yeah. having a conversation um but again our hope is is just to allow people really to put an ear in um on on two friends on two husbands on two fathers yeah. um a grandfather and and then we're also pastors and yeah. and, and talking about uh, you know, we, we kind of labeled this kind of race in America and we realized yeah. that that can mean a lot of things. Um, yeah. but Keith, when we talked about, you know, when we did this last time, it was right on the heels uh, of Ahmaud Arbery 
And, and you and I, we talked about how we were going to kind of follow this up and how we wanted to kind of do this in more of a routine and rhythm. Um, but, but can you talk about what we didn't expect to happen um, so close? And, you know, here we are on the heels of, of kind of something else. Yeah, I mean, indeed. Like, so for us, and, and again, the people that are, that are on, some are probably part of our, our varying communities, whether it be at um, right. Metro in D.C. or, or here um, in Orlando and probably other friends that are around us. Um, but, but people that know us, and I think we have um, a lot of similarities in our personality, um, at no point are we ever looking to like draw attention to ourselves or, or like foster and create, manufacture conversations for the sake of like, man, we gotta maximize the moment. So for us, it's really like, man, we, we've had these discussions over years. We're trying to our best to, to learn how to grow together, bringing people along on the journey. So for us, even after the first um, conversation we had, and we saw a little bit of the reaction and engagement and really began to be like, okay, so this was helpful for you and I as friends, but I truly believe, and you probably would agree to this, that it was helpful for people that attend both of our churches. We, I've had people come to me and say like, hey, this this gave me some tools to to continue the conversation. And so that was the, the heart behind it. So we had, be, we had then said, man, we gotta run it back. Like we can show text message thread, like, hey, we gotta figure out a way to do this. Um, without ever assuming or ever thinking that we would find ourselves dealing with another another crisis, another thing of this magnitude that almost is like forcing us to come back into this dialogue, man. So I think it's 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 heartbreaking that it that is brought that it's kind of accelerated or maybe provided a little bit of structure for where we're going. But but nonetheless, man, we're gonna we're gonna lean into it because again, this is a part of a, a journey that we've been on, man. So what I what I want to do, man, is I, I just wanna I just wanna jump in. Um, because I think for, for me, once once we, we saw this this horrific incident, and I think you know we'll we'll address the elephant in the room. This this horrific incident with, with George Floyd and and seeing the, the the outpouring of it, I found out about it. My son Caleb came downstairs and he said, "Dad, like you know uh, another African American, unarmed African American um, was killed um, by cops." That was like what he said. Like and he just like and so Caleb is now getting to that age where he's aware of these things. He's He's, he's kind of woke to these things a little bit. We have conversations about it. So he came down and I'm like, man, really? And, and so I didn't understand. I didn't know the video context. Um, and, and maybe that's just a part of me being numb or whatever, just used to seeing these things on a repeated pattern. I'm like, okay, so what happened? Um, was he resisting arrest? Like you begin to run through the litany of excuses that you've right. heard all your life that people will always yeah, say. Yeah, what, like, hey, what, what are the permissible scenarios? Yeah, what are all these other variables? So before I invest my emotions into reacting to this, let me see if this was a just shooting because they they do exist. Um, right. So once I saw that, um, then it 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 hit me in a way that it hadn't hit me before. Like I, I I've never like I, I've never felt a weightiness or a heaviness like that, even in spite of all that I've seen. But what really triggered it for me, and I really want to ask you, um, is when you called me. I'm not sure if we texted first um, about it. But I know at some point, some we were you you had called me, you're FaceTiming. And so I'm I'm sitting in my on my couch, the exact same spot that I'm sitting in when you called me. And so, you know, I've I got family around, we're talking, all that stuff, and, and I say, Oh, Charlie's FaceTime. And I pick up the phone, and what I see is you sitting on your back deck, and your your eyes are they're red. Like you you are you are flush. And and I didn't immediately make the correlation at first, but then I said, Hey man, what's going on? And you said you said, Keith, I'm not okay. I like in, in, and you're in tears. I hope I'm not giving up too much um, behind the curtain information on you, but you like Keith, I'm I'm not okay. And you're and you're there and you're fighting back tears and you're and you begin to cry. And I realize like this is a this is a moment of of, of soberness that you're feeling, um, and that you're really carrying the weight and the burden 
um, for others. So I just want to ask you, man, because I think that for, for so many others um, that may be watching this, they're, they're wondering, like, what do these exchanges look like? When you have a conversation and you see these things, what does that look like? You called me and you immediately was like, man, I'm not, I'm not okay. And mm -hmm. this is kind of what led to it. So tell me a little bit about what you saw, those feelings, um, and, yeah. and, and what prompted you to kind of respond the way that you did. Yeah, I, I was in my office and, um, and you know, it, it's, it's interesting how social media works because it's all like a flood. It's not a slow trickle. It, it seems like it, it hits you all at once. And, and so I, I remember kind of like, um, like seeing, you know, a couple different posts and they were like the headline posts. I think people like screenshotted and it was like the headline post. And so I was like, man, like this is, man, not a, like, not again. Like that's the, that's the thought. And, and then I saw the video and, uh, yeah. I grew up with parents that used to say things like, uh, be careful little eyes, what you see. Um, I don't watch horror movies. You and I've joked about this before. I don't, uh, I'm, I'm 40 years old. I'll have, I'll have nightmares. Like it'll, it'll disturb me. Um, there are certain things that I think I have a tolerance for and it doesn't seem to bother me, but there are certain things when I, whenever I feel like if it's like a demonic sort of thing, I, I'm, I'm, I'm like safe, safe. And so I, stay away from that stuff um i've never seen anything like what i saw in that video mm -hmm. um like it's not what you see it's what you hear and then what you don't see after what you hear mm -hmm. and what you continue to see yeah and so it, it wasn't a struggle it wasn't resisting. It wasn't fleeing. It wasn't aggression. It, it was subdued. Yeah. And and I kept thinking like, like how come he's not getting up? Like the officer. And then I realized I just watched a man be killed. And that's not okay. And I'm still not okay. That wasn't Hollywood. That wasn't, that was real. Broad daylight, middle of the road, people watched, people recorded. No one did anything. And there were four officers that were involved. Mm -hmm. That is um, too much, man. And I just, I just felt like I had to call you. And I didn't, I didn't want to call. I, I, I mean, we get into why I called you and why I didn't call other people. I mean, that's probably a conversation. I I didn't want to have to filter my response and why explain it. Yeah. Well, sir. I didn't, I didn't want to have to shield and filter it through some political language or filter or be um, 
I could say spicy words if I needed to. Yeah. Like for me, it was a, everyone has to have people that they can call. Um, and I knew I could call you and, and your response to me was, um, was as so not as sobering as what I saw, but was also another in like a window because again, for you, and we shared this last time where you see this more and more and you become desensitized. Yeah. It, there, there's an expectation, um, that, that this won't be the last time. Like, that's the other thing I think that yeah. really was alarming. It's like, man, didn't we, didn't we just deal with something like this? Isn't there some, like, didn't we, like, it's almost like class where you're not paying attention. Yeah. And, and it's, and when you start looking at, here's what it is. When you pull on this string and this is for everyone hearing like our conversation and you and I know this, you pull on this string and you're going to have the whole freaking sweater in your hands. Yep. Because these aren't isolated. It's mm-hmm. not every so often. Mm-hmm. All that's happening now is we all have devices where we get to be sideline reporters. Yep. It's in front of us. It's in front and of I, us. And I think for, for me, dude, I, I think um, it was it was our conversation that made me reflect on it a little bit more because of the frequency. And again, the, the historical pattern that I've seen in my entire life. So you, again, you, you kind of create a way to insulate your feelings from, um, from certain expectations. And it's, and it's, it's, it's crazy that you can live in a country and, and feel like your, 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 your ancestors have contributed so much to a country, um, but yet feel like that country doesn't love you back. And so you stop expecting anything from it. You stop expecting justice from it. You stop expecting um, fairness from it. You stop expecting um, that, at, that at any point there's going to be an equal playing field. And so you just learn how to exist with the way that things are. So that way you you, you don't have to be enraged every single moment. When I, when, I, when I, after we talked and I had some time to think about it, oddly enough, it, it made me think about um, like my, my family. And, and of course it, 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 there's there's a thread to this, but but I want you to I want you to follow me on this for a second. It made me think okay. about um, it made me think about my family. And so what we'll do, like at least once, maybe twice a week, we'll sit at the table um, after dinner and we'll we'll play games together. So our game of choice right now happens to be Uno. And so it made me literally think of this instance. And so just just follow me for a minute. It felt yep. like a never ending Uno game. And so it, here's the scenario: we got we got our Uno deck, and so everybody got their cards. And we have one of those decks where you can create your own like card and so we got wild cards draw fours draw tens we got everything thrown in there so our games get really aggressive in the kidman household for those that know they know we we go in like it it's it's there's never more attention but more love in the pitman household than when we're playing but i remember this one game so we're playing and um so so caleb he's he's pretty good he's very analytical we have a good memory so he knows who has what color cards and all that stuff so like typically there may be like an alliance with all of us to try to do our best, like anybody but Caleb type mentality. Got it. So, okay. so, so what happens is um, Caleb gets down to like his last card. And so I think it was Megan, she had like a switch card where you can switch cards with that person and by, and, and by principle you can win. So she gets the switch card, she takes his card, now he's filled with all her cards. He slowly begins to work down the deck again using his strategy. He gets down to one card again. I have a switch card and I switch for him. So then he gets the cards back again. So we're in this never-ending game. He works it all the way down again, Charlie. And then I hit him with a draw 10. And so mm. there's this moment. There's this moment for Caleb where he you could see that he was looking at the cards that was in the, the cards that he had been dealt. And he literally looked up and just said, 
y'all have rigged this game so I can't win. He said, because every time I get down to a point where I think I'm about to win, y'all switch up the rules. You change the colors. You're drawing four, drawing 10, switching a hand. Mm. And, I, and I thought about, I, I thought about that moment of the hopelessness, even in the game, but that's how I feel about living in America sometimes. That I feel like I'm doing my best to live with the cards that I've been done. I'm making strategic decisions to position my family in environments where I feel like we can thrive and be successful. Mm-hmm. But but no matter what, at the end of the day, there's an ability for someone to come in and just take the cards right out of my hand and I am not presumed to be innocent. There's somebody that can show up at any given moment and what I know mm-hmm. is that that I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to deal with it. And so it, it's 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 almost like this sense of hopelessness, where yeah. you can still have faith but lose hope. And I believe that I used to have this hope that things were going to eventually begin to work themselves out. But now I realize those words that Caleb said and that game is kind of how I feel right now. Like the game is rigged, so I can't win. And even yeah. when I believe that I'm making the best decisions, at some point somebody's going to come in and switch the rules up on me, draw four, draw ten. They're going to do something, skip me. Those things are going to be things that I'm going to have to deal with. And so I've got to process through it. I've got to leave my family through it. But nonetheless, yeah. this is this is very much this is very much our reality. And and here's and here's the thing, Charlie. When I saw when I saw that that, that poor man on the ground, it, it made me ask this question: What 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 is the what is the threshold of innocence? When does that go away? And, I, and I've shared this with you before. Yeah, because I, I can I can remember several years back, I guess it'll be six years ago now, because Caleb is 16, where I, I remember visiting my, my mother-in-law. She lives in the inner city. And standing on a corner with my then son, Caleb, six years ago, he was 10 years old, a police officer rides by, and we're standing on a corner of getting ready to get in our car. And um, he slows down, lets his window down. He, he says, hey, how you guys doing? Great. How are you doing, son? Talking to Caleb. How are you doing? Fine. How are you? Great. He begins to talk to him, and he's like, all right, man, you guys have a good night. And he drives off. And I was like, man, that's so cool, man. That cop was so cool. And and something inside of me said, mm. but when do you think your son stops being the cute little boy who has dreams? Mm. And then he crosses that threshold, and now he's America's worst nightmare. Mm. Nothing's changed about him except that he's had the privilege of existing longer. But now I'm having conversations with him about, hey, son, I don't want you to have that kind of haircut. Because if you wear that kind of haircut, people are going to project certain things on you that you mm. will not be given the benefit of the doubt on. Son, I don't know if I want you to get your ears pierced because people are going to project certain things on you based off of whatever. Because, of course, African-Americans, you carry the heritage and baggage of every negative experience that someone may have had with an African-American. So each moment you are realizing that I'm speaking on behalf of the entire black community. Mm. And so for my son, I'm wondering, when when is that age? Is it 12? Well, no, it can't be 12 because Tamar Rice was only 12 and cops pulled up and shot him down within three seconds without even giving him up. Like, he's just outside playing on a playground. What age is it where innocence is lost and my beautiful young son no longer has dreams, but you're a threat? They don't see the fact that he has a calling on his life. They don't see the fact that he has, he's a straight-A student. They don't see the fact that we're that he wants to be an engineer, that he has all kind of ideas that he wants to do. All they see is you fit the description of every other thug that I've ever seen, so you're going to be met with threats and with violence. That's, that's the reality that, that I have to deal with.
And I don't have that for any of my three kids. And that's a problem that you and I live in the same place in the same profession. And we drastically raise our kids to navigate life differently. And so I know that there's, we've talked about this, there's a lot of conversations happening right now. There are other pastors that are sitting down and I, I would say this to you, listen, if you get a chance, um, listen to Pastor Carl Lentz, Bishop T.D. Jakes from yesterday, Pastor Stephen Furtick, Pastor John Gray, our good friend Jimmy Rollins has uh, gotten a chance to sit down in a couple different contexts um, and brilliant insight. You and I are just friends. And when I hear you talk about your son, this is somebody who I, I know and I love and I've hung out with. And, and it's, so it's very real. Like I said, this is very real. Mm-hmm. And I think some of that becomes the problem because I, I think if, if people that look like me would be, would be honest. We have to get to a place where there's no, there's no more they. Yeah. And I think the only way that that takes place is when you can substitute they for names, yeah. stories, experiences that are not merely historical references, but they are people that you share your life with. Mm-hmm. Because the moment you're able to do that, then what seems to be so distant, and when the problem is distant, it's easy for me to stay away and be disengaged. Mm-hmm. It's easy. It's easy to feel bad and change the channel. Yeah. But when it's someone that I know, when a day in and day out, whether it's it's friends that are near or it's you that lives in a, another state, then it it, cha- it changes everything. And so when we talk about like action steps, I know you had a lot of people hit you up last time for this. And I had people hit me up in terms of like, mm-hmm. hey, what are the action steps? Tell us what to do. And there's one side of that that I think is great. We need to have action steps. But here's what I don't want. I don't want simple, quick action steps so that we don't have to have this conversation anymore. Yes. Because I think the conversation has to remain even as we're working present and future for change. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I think sometimes we just, we want to rush past the parts that's uncomfortable. And, and, And I think that's, here, here's a telling here's a telling sign so our last conversation um, around this subject um, I think for both of our, our both of our churches it was the highest interaction that we've seen on social media one of the highest engagements and, and we don't do these for these metrics but it's just an awareness that people are really dialed in like people really want to they, they want to have these conversations they want to they want to watch those conversations they want to be a part of it they want to grow and learn from it um, but as I started seeing moments ramping up for this conversation, and of course, in light of there's a heightened awareness and everybody's posting about um, George Floyd, like it's, it's everywhere. What I noticed is as I was, as I was preparing and, and posting to create awareness with people that are on my threads, I got the highest interaction, but every time I posted, I noticed that I would begin to see people unfollow me. You could just see it, oh, yeah. you see them beginning to drop. And I thought like, man, this is literally the definition of privilege. Because you have the privilege of choosing whether or not you want to engage in my suffering or not. So as long as I'm telling you 
a, a, a good message, if I'm giving you insight into my family, if I'm showing you outside cooking on a grill, yeah, Keith, let me see that side of you. Okay, yep. I'm talking about suffering. Okay, I'm going to unfollow that. And only privilege has the privilege has the ability that you can choose to unfollow the things you don't like. But the reality is, for my timeline, for my feed as an African-American in America, I can't unfollow the things that are uncomfortable. I got to sit here and deal with it and live through it. And so I think that sometimes we have to ask ourselves when people are like, man, everybody's talking about this. Like, are we going to ever move on? Ask yourself, why don't you want to talk about it? Right. I'm, I'm, I'm noticing friends of mine that, that are that are deathly silent in moments like this. And I yep. realize we all got our own convictions, but I'm just telling you, I see that. I notice that. Yeah. Right? We can talk about everything, but when it comes to issues like this, why is it so hard for people to speak up consistently and recognizing systemic racism? And here's and here's what I believe. I believe that a lot of folks they, they have a they have a they have a wrong definition of what racism is. Because that's such, a, such an aggressive word, and it's something that we've heard. And man, don't call me a, a, a racist. And so when you begin to think about like what racism is, it's there's a lot of different definitions, but ultimately it's it's systemic oppression based off of off of color. That's that's my clearest and muddiest definition I can provide. So a lot of folks will say, well, racism doesn't exist by that definition because my my bank my bank manager is an African-American. The principal of my school was an African-American. We had an African-American in the White House. So by all means, racism is no longer an issue because in the institutions where um, African-Americans may have historically been marginalized, we are now beginning to see a little bit of movement in that. So I think that's why people can say, I don't believe racism is still a thing. But when you really begin to investigate like the historic nature and the systems and even some of the laws that were created and what they were birthed out of, Right. ranking all the way back from Jim Crow and the legislation that had been written from that all the way up to now, that we are still standing on the broken reality of slavery, our deepest sin that America refuses to repent of, and systems that were built on top of that have not been ratified. So yes, systemic racism is still very much a real thing, just because you may have an African-American who's a neighbor, and there's a law that says that that I can get a loan just like you can get a loan, but the truth of the matter is you can't put a Band-Aid on a heart issue. It requires mm. deeper surgery in order for okay. to deal with it, and we haven't done that yet. Yeah, it, it, you said so much. Um, I think when you when you when you mention privilege, and I know that's something that um, that that my uh, my white counterparts um, will have a difficult time hearing, and here's why: they'll hear the word privilege, and they'll think that it is an eraser for any hardship they've ever gone through, any um, struggle that they've had, um, that, it, that it denies their work ethic, that it denies difficulty in their life. And what I want everyone to understand, when you hear, when you hear people, when you hear us talk about privilege, we're not talking or we're not using it as an eraser or an, a, a complete like negation of difficult situation, suffering that you've gone through. What we're showing is not that it has nothing to do with your work ethic. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about hard work versus somebody um, giving you something. What we're talking is going back to what you said, the ability to turn off or ignore is a privilege that I have that you don't have. Yes. Truth be told, if I wanted to put my head in the sand and completely ignore racism, ignore what's happening in the country, disengage from the conversation, I can actually do that. And you will live a full life. Live a full life. Live a full life. 
go out and get my mail tomorrow, get in the car, yep. drive to Chick-fil-A. Yep. And, and that would be, that would be terrible, but it's possible. Mm -hmm. You don't get to turn off being black in America. Right. It, it's something that you have to navigate through. You've got to figure out what cards are in your hand now and then what's happening in terms of how this is switching and then how do you pivot when something yeah. changes? Yeah. Because I would imagine, you know, Keith, when even going through a situation in a season in a time like this, and this isn't a question that I, I've, I've asked you before and I hate to spring it on you now, but how does this affect the way in which you navigate day to day when we go through a situation that's right now, like it's, it's heightened, um, it's talked about. It's not like it's going away. It's right on the front um, page of everything. Do you feel? Do you feel comfort in knowing that there's more people talking about it, or is it still the same? Um. So this is this is Keith and Charlie having a conversation. Yeah. So um, so this isn't my my politically correct answer. This isn't my um even well thought out answer. This is my Keith and Charlie answer. Yeah. Um, I'm grateful that people, that people want to have the conversation. I'm grateful for the additional voices and everyone that's like, yeah, we, we've got to, we've got to acknowledge this. But the reality is I still feel the same because what I, here, here's what I'll tell you. As long as I feel that this conversation is one-sided, I feel like we're missing something. And here's what I mean by that, Charlie. I love, I love all of my friends and all the people that are saying to me, I am here with you. I'm sitting in this with you. I've had so many text messages and phone calls from people that love me that are like, man, I'm sorry that you're going through this. And so I, I get all that. I appreciate all that. But here's what I'll tell you, man, especially for people that I know that are in positions of power and authority. Please, like your next step, I want you to be with me in my suffering, but please allow me to be a voice in your success. Because what I'm sensing a lot of times is you can on, visit me in my suffering, Come but on. when it comes to boardrooms where decisions are made for your organization, can I be in there too? Yeah, Come be on. with me in my suffering, but allow me to be in your place where decisions are being made. And this is my challenge to anyone that's in a position of power. Like, yep. when are you going to begin to invite us into that space so that you can make systemic adjustments in your organization that lets people know that this is where I'm at? Yes, put your post up. Yes, come have conversations with me. So start bringing me into your places of power and privilege where people like that look like me typically aren't. That's when I'll probably begin to start feeling a little bit better. When I start seeing policies change, that's Love when I'll probably start feeling a little bit better. But right now, the conversation is heating up. Right now, people are more in tune right now than ever. There's more uh, protests, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Like I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for the awareness, but I, I want, I want this conversation to exist beyond the suffering. I want it to be in moments of success so that I can be a part of those conversations as well. Because I think that's, that's also an expression or an extension of privilege. You can choose to come into my world, but you also can use that privilege to allow me into your world and allowing me to, to speak into some things in your life and speak to some things in your organization that you may not realize become a little insensitive to us. So those are the things that I want to be included in. So yes, the one side, yes, be with me in my suffering. But by all means, allow me to be with you in your success. Allow me to be present in that. Be intentional um, in those moments too, because that's when I'll begin to have a little bit more um, hope. So again, that's my that's my Keith answer. That's probably not yeah. the, the pastoral answer. The pastoral no, I love answer it. Is, yes, man, I'm full of faith, and yes, we're moving forward. But here's what I'll tell you, man. 
Like, I realize that a lot of things that have happened in the past, and that's what people want to want to reflect to, look at how far we've come, and I hear you. But I think that we still have a long ways to go, and we're seeing these repeated patterns, Charlie. So I'm just, I believe that your past is your present as long as you're at a standstill. And right now, I still feel like we're at a standstill. We're still here. We're still, yeah. we're still marinating it, and we still have, um, we can't even agree that it's an issue. Like, when, when you begin to, like, when you begin to look, man, and, and I'm sorry for saying, like, hijacking, but I want to say this. No, when do it. Come on. To, when you begin to look and see, I knew this was going to happen, but you're beginning to see on social media now people reenacting what happened to George Floyd to try to say that, hey, he couldn't have died from that. Look, I have somebody on my neck, right? Like, you literally have someone that has made the concerted effort of saying, hey, Friend of mine, come over here. I'm going to lay on my stomach. I'm going to yeah. act like I have my hands behind my back. Put your knee on my neck. We're going to film this to prove that, right. that somehow now we we become we become doctors. And now I want to prove to all of my followers out there, like, hey, there must be something else that he like. We still live in a world where that's a reality. We right. still live in a world where where people don't feel like there's anything wrong with that. So until we can begin to start changing policies, I'm still at a standstill. Yeah. No. I I love what you hit on because it actually led into something you and I talked about earlier when when we talk about racism and you talk about progress. Because I think there are some that would that would say in their life they know less racist people than maybe 20, 30 years ago. It it seems to be that it's not, you know, that close of proximity. Talk about the systemic racism, because I think that's a part where where I think some people aren't Unfortunately, here's what we realize. There are people that are step for step with us in this conversation. We also recognize that there are people that are coming into this conversation and they're actually wanting to, they're wanting to learn. They're wanting yeah. to kind of move in. And this is a safe space for that. And so I, I want, if you, if you will, would you talk for a couple moments? Um, and again, that, that's asking you to put a, a flood into a water bottle. But, but, but find a way for people to understand we're not simply just talking about the, the individuals that have bitterness in their heart. Do they yeah. exist? Yes. Um, yeah. But I also want us to realize that we're also talking about a, a systemic issue, which is where we need to be as vigilant um, as we are as far as making sure that our, our families, our friend circles, the people we come in yeah. contact with, that there's there's not just, um, and it's also not enough just to not be racist. Like, like that's yeah. not the end goal. It's like, oh, I'm yeah. not a racist. Like, give me a badge. Like yeah. be anti-racist. Work against yeah. that. When's the yeah. last time you corrected somebody? When's the Wait last back. time you checked somebody at a conversation over a meal because they said something that was a little bit off color? But it's it's normal for the people that you're hanging around and you start making excuses like, oh, I know that person's heart. They really aren't a yeah. bad person. That's how they meant by it. Yeah. Like let's back. stop saying that people aren't bad and be willing to help make them better. Come be on. willing to help say, hey, wait a second. Like, yeah. hey, we, don't, we don't do that. I have a friend of mine, uh, you, you know, Pastor Andrew Gard, and yep. there was something that he would that he would do, and it was for a different a different situation, but I think it works perfectly for this. If you found anybody, if anybody was, like, gossiping on their team, they were talking about so-and-so, he would, in the middle of the conversation, and it was incredibly uncomfortable, he would do that. He, he's done this to me. He's done it to other people. He would literally go, time out, time out, time out, time out, would interrupt you. And go, hey man, hey, hey man, hey, hey man, and made a thing about it. Yeah, was like, hey, like, hey, are we doing that? We're not doing that. Yeah, I think we have yeah. to be as vigilant for racism 
as we are for gossip in the body of Christ. Come on, say that. And here's we the thing, man. Let me say this, Charlie. Because from, from a from a just on that point alone, like I was like I'm preparing for like we're we're both studying the book of Acts for the series that we're in as a church. Yeah. And so I'm, I'll share this. So people that are part of Celebration Orlando, you'll hear this later on. But just um, a little bread. And it's, it's probably going to be good. I'll probably preach it, too. So yeah, of just, course. Like, that's, yeah, that's how we do it. But, but bro, like, do you, do you remember this this moment where Paul talks about how he confronted Peter because Peter was acting a little bit racist towards the Gentiles? Yes. He, says, so I would, he said, I withstood Peter to his face because he was fit to be judged. Because he recognized that Peter began to distance himself from the Gentiles when other Jews were around him. And he was like, hey, man, kind of like what you said um, Andrew does. Hey, man, is that, is, that, is that appropriate behavior? That is not what the kingdom yep. of God looks like. Yep. I'm wondering, where is that in the body of Christ right now? Where, where is that in, in people who have proximity to people in power? Where is, where is that where you say, hey, like, listen, that's not kingdom behavior. That's not how we behave. This is not me being on some kind of holier-than-thou movement. But this is the culture of the kingdom, and this is not appropriate in any setting. So I, I just had to get that out, man. Like, this is a biblical precedence where Paul, who came in after Peter, Peter was like an elder. Peter was yep. experienced. He walked with Jesus. But Paul stepped up and said, hey, bro, you out of line, man. You're yep. acting real funny when when the, when the Jews are around to these Gentiles, bro. You you know better than that. God yep. gave you a direct revelation about this, bro. You need to knock it off. That's, that's what we need right now, man. And I think here's the thing. There, there's a part where confrontation plus carry equals growth. Mm-hmm. And so there, here's what I know for you and I as friends. Let's let's not even talk about race for a moment. If it's anything in my life and I'm out of bounds and you know it, how long before you call me? Immediately. 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 And you go, hey, knock it off. And yeah. I go, man, you're right. You. And you know what we would do? We would move on. Yes. But now some of what is what is in our culture, it can be it can be beautiful on one side, and then on another side, it can be completely damaging for these types of conversations. And so when, when everyone's scared or quick to cancel and cut somebody else off. Yes. Rather than going, hey, now listen to me. Cancel other people. About the body of Christ, though. Listen to this. On the, mm-hmm. the body of Christ. Yep. If you can't look to your brother and your sister and go, hey. You're better than this. Mm-hmm. Christ saved you for more than this. Yeah. If we can't say that in the house of God first, we have no business or no yeah. ability to say it anywhere else. Yeah, we we, we lose our witness. We we can't we can't be effective in, in reaching people, man. And, and what I'll what I'll say, Charlie, because I know time's getting away from us, but I, you yeah. you had, you had mentioned like some of the systemic racism, and so again, I I couldn't I couldn't even possibly hit all of it but but here's the here's what i want people to consider i want people to consider that when when slavery was ended 1865 when that when that ended just just do just do a quick study of the laws that were put into place after that happened like we have to remember just because just because someone signed a document that says like okay yeah you know what fine like okay let the slaves be free did that, did that deal with the heart issue that existed? Mm-hmm. So what you'll find is that literally laws were created just so it would pre- increase the, 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 the reality that African-Americans would get arrested because they created a law literally for slaves who had just been set free that says it's illegal for you not to have a job. And so if a, an officer approaches you and asks you if you can prove that you're working, well, well no, I'm, I'm a free slave. Like, no one's hiring me. Okay, right. then you're going to get re- you're going to get arrested, and then basically on a prisoner release program, 
be sent right back to the very plantation that you got set free from to work off the fact that you didn't have a job. Like, so you have to understand, and then laws were built on top of that. And then laws were built on top of that. And then laws were built on top of that. And so they would have all these loopholes. So when you look at the 13th Amendment and how they wrote in there that you have rights and you're free, except if you're a prisoner, just study mass incarceration. Begin to ask yourself, why is it that an African-American um, and, and, a, and a white American can commit the exact same crime in the exact same context, but the African-American gets more jail time? Ask yourself, why is it that if an African-American is addicted to drugs, they go to jail. If a white American is addicted to drugs, they go to rehab. This is systematic. This is verifiable data that proves all these things. And so what happens after, you know, God, like after the, and, and here's and here's how these things get embedded. I just, I got to get this off. Yep. My this is how we began to change the narrative. So after slavery is over and we're moving forward, then what you'll find is that the, that the, that the Civil War, after that was all like dismantled, that there became this romanticizing of the South. It became this romanticizing of the Confederate. Let, let me say something about this, because we're already out here. What, what, what privilege allows, privilege allows you the power to change the narrative. It allows yes. to romanticize yes. the past and turn it into something that it wasn't. So for as an African-American that lives in this country, and I have to drive through Southern states, and I see a Confederate flag waving proudly in that state as is a badge of honor. They changed the narrative to say that, hey, this is heritage, not hate. I don't mm. care what you say. It is hate. Do you right. know what that flag represents to a person that looks like me? Do you realize that is why neo-Nazis use that flag? Do you realize that's why the Klan uses that flag? People that are embedded in hate are using this symbol that you say is so much connected to heritage. Mm. So I wonder why is it do we make an altar to anarchy? Why is it that we've allowed ourselves to be embedded to things and now we began to create, we create schools and monuments named after people that, that brutally raped black women, that, that systematically killed and, and ripped apart families, but now we create monuments for them and create Confederate statues for them. I'm out there now, Charlie, I'm gonna go ahead and lean into it. We, we, we are, we're doing these things. I remember living up there in DC and I could not get to your house without driving on Jeff Davis Highway. And when I began to do some research on who Jeff Davis was and how he was the president of the Confederate Army and what egregious acts he's done, what his belief systems are, do you know what that does in the mind of an African-American? Subconsciously, it's telling me I can't even make it to my destination without riding on the boulevard of oppression. There's nowhere I can go that I can escape the, the idea of what has been done to my people. We can change the narrative all we want. We can say that right. it's heritage, not hate, all we want. But when we talk about systemic oppression, not only was it systems, but it's keeping these images in front of us 24-7 so that we never yep. forget that at one point you were oppressed and this is how we see you. This is how we think yep. about you and you will never ascend beyond that. Okay, I'm done. Yeah, don't give, don't, don't hand, don't give me a handful of weeds and tell me it's roses. Yes. Okay, when yes. you talk about even changing the narrative, so here's the thing. So I, I know we want to, um, a phrase you and I have been sharing uh, in the last you know couple days, weeks even, is that two things can be right at the same time. Yeah. And so I, I think people, um, I think this will make some people comfortable for us to make some sort of statement on this. Um, Keith, I think it's safe to say neither you nor I are about, um, you know, looting or damaging businesses. So I can be, I can be pro a protest. Yes. And I can at the same time be against some of these other manifestations. I, I, I can empathize and understand why they take place. And I want to be clear on that. I mm -hmm. think sometimes 
it's easy to want to distance the narrative so that you don't have to understand how it gets to a place of uprising. Mm-hmm. And I want to use this for example. Since you're already out there, I'm going to come out here with you and we can Go. just hold hold each other company and, yes. and, and just being out here. When Colin Kaepernick takes a knee before playing a football game and he says, I'm taking a knee in protest to police brutality. Privilege is the ability to go, nah, dog, you ain't protesting police brutality. You're against the flag. That's yep. what this really is. You're an, you're un, you're un-American, Colin. You're not an American citizen. You don't appreciate the country. And you create this tidal wave so that the issue that he said he was protesting, bringing awareness to. No, no, that's not your, that's not what you're protesting. No, we disagree. There's something else. So here's, honestly, here's what I, I have. Here's the question. I don't have the answer to this. So someone help me on this. For those that disagree with Colin Kaepernick, for those that disagree, disagree with people wearing a shirt that say, I can't breathe, to stand in solidarity with um, with a gentleman in New York City that was lost his life at the hand of police officers because he couldn't breathe. We're using the freaking same hashtag. Yeah, literally. So if, if, you, if, you're, if you're upset with that, so you can't take a knee, you can't take a t-shirt, and you, so just tell me, just, just so that I'm aware, how can you, what, what's the acceptable way to exercise your right for a nonviolent protest. Taking a knee is not violent. Wearing a t-shirt is not violent. Having a press conference and using your voice is not violent. Perhaps, perhaps the uprising takes place because for too long, people have been shut up, told to shut up and dribble. They've, yeah. they've been told that we don't have to talk about that anymore because it's in our past. Yeah. And let me just say this from a, a white middle-class American. Do you know who taught me about Emmett Till? Not a history book. Mm. Not a course I took in high school, middle school, or college. You know where I learned that name for the first time? Where? Kanye West. Well. College dropout. It was a lyric in a rap song. That's Mm. how I began to understand and learn more about the atrocities that have taken place in our nation's history. And if you are, and you and I, if we're unwilling not just to be aware, but to study, to understand, to enter into the pain of our friends and our loved ones, our brothers and sisters who are going through this. If we're unwilling to do that, then there is, there is, there is no hope for our country. Yeah. But Christ beckons us. Mm-hmm. Beckons us to do this. The kingdom of God is about unity. Jesus says, Make us one. We desire that the body of Christ is made of many parts. And we cannot look at any of the parts and disparage them, not honor them, not value them, or or separate them from the body and expect the body to thrive. Correct. This is a kingdom issue. It's a kingdom issue. It's a it's a sin issue. And I think, bro, like you're 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 hitting on a lot. So obviously, like that has been uh that has been a common theme that I've seen since all this has started is, yeah, man, it is so awful what happened to George Floyd, man. Like that's terrible. So anyway, man, let's talk about these riots. Let's, 
let's let's exactly like let's let's shift in it like okay let's man you see what's going on out there so there's a couple things one we know it's it's like, like actual verifiable facts that many of the people that were sparking the riot was not actually the, the protesters that were there it was people that were Correct. coming out of town like this is verifiable facts um just trying to shift the narrative these are pretty much anti-government factions anyway so that's Correct. a fact so you, you already know that um, so there's there's a factual outside of it where it's like yeah okay there's that so let's step on from that the but we I think we have to consider something for a moment as we as we look at cities burning as you said earlier no I'm not in agreement with that no I don't believe in right. destruction of property I've I've seen I've seen the other side of it where I saw an African American man just crying his eyes out because his business had been destroyed and he has saved his entire life for my heart breaks my heart breaks that that's the reality that he has to live through. But 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 let's 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 hold on for a moment before we try to move on to addressing that without acknowledging why we got here in the first place. Exactly. You know, it's 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 Martin Luther King that says that riots are simply the voice of those who go unheard. And when I think about the, the burning buildings, when I think about the broken out glass, and I think about the, the looting and the things that have happened with that, I understand the destruction of property, but I really do believe that that sometimes that life can imitate art and art can imitate life. Because I think about the African-American experience, and I believe that we have been looted our entire time since we've been in this country. Mm. So if you have outrage about a target on fire, where's your outrage about when black women were being pulled out of their homes and they're being raped? Where's your outrage when people were being killed and hung from trees? Did you have that same outrage when those things were happening? Because as an African-American, I can tell you, we have been looted our entire lives. Mm. I, I think that when we think about the different things that have happened in our life that have gone unheard, you think about it, at some point there's going to be there's going to be this boiling point and while right. i know there's a desire to to change the narrative i know there's a desire to, to to switch things around and just focus on other things but let's consider for a moment the things that have gone unheard in our lives tamar rice and his execution unheard eric gardner unheard we see what happened with brianna taylor and the response from that unheard we're seeing these moments where things are constantly being unheard and at some point there becomes an uprising or there becomes some form of a resistance so when we do begin to talk about these moments where we have protests, when we have these moments and we begin to talk about this emotional outpouring, maybe before you maybe before you critique our outrage, maybe you can listen to our outcry. Maybe you can actually begin to say, like, man, what what has happened that this is where we are? Why don't instead of us when you look at our tears, don't meet it with tear gas? How about that? Mm. How is it that when I can see that African Americans and people who are fighting for our rights that when we protest, that we can be beat up by officers. But when I see white Americans protest, they can yell right directly into the face of an officer and there is no response. If we can't see that there's some systematic differences in the way that people are treated, then we're just choosing to be ignorant. We're choosing to unfollow and put our heads in the sand. And I think that what we're seeing is we're seeing an outpouring of people that are desperate for an answer. They're desperate for change. And when you don't have all the answers, you're realizing that Martin Luther King, he, he marched in silence. He, he did the best that he could. And, and, and we got a little bit of, of, of growth, but it, it, it takes resistance. But he still was executed and killed. At right. some point, you begin to say, we silence hasn't been the answer. Resistance is the only thing that seems to get a little bit of attention. So do we believe in the destruction of property? No. But if you had issues with Colin Kaepernick kneeling, but you don't have issues with this man who was kneeling on this man, that, then I think we need to reevaluate your priorities and check the heart because I think that's a very strong reflection of the way that we're seeing these things. Don't allow people to take you off track to look at the destruction of property if we're not gonna look at the destruction that has happened to the African-American experience. And, and here's the last thing I'll say on this, Charlie. When I, 
my daughter bought me um, one of those Ancestry.com kits. And so I did the whole DNA thing, sent it in. And when I saw that, you know, I'm I'm 40% from Nigeria and I'm 2% Jewish, so shalom. Um, but all these things are in there. But here's the beautiful thing about this um, about this website, Charlie, is it actually shows you, okay, so now that we know what part of Africa you're from, let us show you your African journey. And it shows me where people who were from Nigeria, my ancestors, how they were brought over in the slave trade, how we ended up in the Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina area, the end plantations they were a part of, how they migrated. So I'm literally tracking and seeing the ancestors and how they came over to America and the, the conditions in which they got here. And it broke my heart because no longer could I just say, hey, I'm African-American and I know that my ancestors are slaves. I can directly see where we came from. I can see the plantation that we we're a part of. I can see the oppression that has been connected to my people. And I feel that in me in the same way that our Jewish brothers and sisters, when they talk about how they were freed from Exodus, they say, and we were because they consider themselves as a part of that story. So now when I think back about slavery, my ancestors and what was done to them, it's no longer what happened to them. This is what's happened to us because I can trace back and see it. So what I do see is I see that there's been oppression. I see there's been bigotry and racism in our blood. But what I also see is that there's survival in our blood because I'm still here. And Come that's on. what I stand on. Come on. Mm. That's 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 what I stand on there. Mm. Hey, we got a, a couple minutes left, and um, I don't know if we accomplished what everybody was hoping we would accomplish. Um, but I, I appreciate your honesty. Yeah. Um, because again, you and I, like I said, we're a lot of things before we're pastors. Yeah. And heard someone say before that the, the job of a pastor is to bring people along on their own spiritual journey. And so for you and I, again, we, we say this so much, it's, re, it's rooted in our friendship. Uh, but it's also very much rooted in, um, in our devotion to Jesus. And, and, and you and I know that the only way that, this, that we have hope, um, I'll speak for myself, my hope isn't in a political system. My, my hope is not in elected officials. I pray for them. I'm great. I'm grateful for those that are in service. I, I, I know that the large majority of, of police officers who take the oath to protect and serve, they desire to do that. Yeah. So I, I don't, I don't live in, in just the world that only is obsessing with pain or, or, but I realize that there's a significant wave of that. And the only hope that we have is Jesus. That the gospel of the kingdom would be true and real and that we would embrace it in a way that is biblically centered. Um, and I believe that is revolutionary at all places. Indeed. Thanks again for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's message. We'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast and review and share what you heard today. If you'd like more content like this or you'd like to connect with us, go to celebrationorl.org. We hope you join us next time.